You're listening to the Label Machine series, a podcast to inspire and help indie record labels and artists to build income streams for their music. I'm Nick Sadler, a music entrepreneur that has helped start and run multiple indie record labels. In this series, I'll be speaking with music industry leaders about their experience and the lessons they learn on how they both market and grow their music income. Welcome to the Label Machine series, where we discuss with successful industry professionals how artists and record labels market and sell music. My name is Nick Sadler, and today's guest is Alex Branson. Alex has spent many years in record companies, including Sony Music, The Lost Generation, and Music and Media Records. Past work included creating a startup inside Warner Music Group, levelmusic.com, and building up the InGrooves distribution business from the ground up which is a fantastic company, and I still distribute one of my record labels through them. Amongst other things, he's also Head of Business Development at Rota. He also does business development at Empire and Beatport, as well as running his own music podcast, ABC Music Talk Podcast. Alex, how are you today? My, my life just flashed before my eyes there. Thank you for the quick positive history. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. And, and I know at the beginning, you know, I was just sort of going to look at your most, like recent work and, and I wasn't aware of sort of how many hats you wore as well. Um, and, and, and I guess, to be honest, that sort of probably just leads straight into the, what sort of my first question, um, which I sort of just rewrote just before we started after discovering sort of all the hats you wear is um, you do work across so many different roles. Um, and it makes me realize these days how many people in the music industry do work across many roles. Do you think this is a growing trend? Oh goodness! Yeah. Well, okay. So I more more uh, more by accident than anything else for me, at least. I, I actually I'm quite envious of people that can apply for very specific, say, marketing roles that you see advertised, uh, and actually you know be the right person for that. Because I know that I look at most job ads and I'm like, I'm not the right person for any of these things. Uh, so no, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely sort of you know, a bit of a Swiss army knife, you know, not the sharpest tool in the box, but you'll find a use for me eventually. Uh, and it has come from this kind of sort of, you know, slightly eclectic career. Um, but yeah, so do I think it's a trend? I think people are having to understand a lot more about lots of different roles for, for certain. Um, mm. but I think there's still a lot of room for experts in this industry and I hope they do continue to be so. Mm. So, um, do you think you've always been a, a Swiss army knife? Um, you know, earlier we we're talking about, you know, you're a bassist and you were sort of the guy who was sort of organizing the press shoots and, and things like that. Um, you know, just going back to sort of how you got into the music industry, was it always that way? I, I was just always interested in, in everything. And, uh, I actually weirdly, when I was in the band, uh, thought I might become a music publisher because I just learned what a music publisher was and I thought that's really interesting and you know I'm the sort of person that and this is pre-internet because I'm very old it's horrible um you know I went and found you know some information about you know sort of legal minimum splits of publishing you know between mm. the publisher and the songwriter and just learning about these things that was that was all I was a bit nerdy I suppose really and uh, just was really interested in in everything that was going on and I think that probably that natural curiosity led me to you know pick up skills learn things as, as I went along also, and lots of credit to some of the people that helped me in my early career, and it's part of the reason why I do the podcast and the way that I do it, they allowed me to do lots of different things. So, you know, when I was at Sony in the 90s, uh, Lynn Cosgrave, Carl Cox's manager, um, you know, she she just trusted me to run a Josh Wink campaign. I've never run a campaign before. Fan of Josh Wink, sure. 
you know, and and that, it, and this sort of carried on. And then she was like, oh, well, do you want to do the licensing for a Gatecrasher album? I was like, what is licensing? But yes, you know, and, and, and I think, you know, you do need these people that do just sort of trust you in, in, you know, in your career development to allow you to either figure out the bit that you are really good at and therefore you learn that that's the thing that I want to then go on and do. Um, or as in my case, it just meant that I continued with this sort of fascination with this this industry called the music industry and just sort of carried on. I mean, there are things that I've never really done a lot of, like the live side, other than being in a band myself. Mm. Um, so, but I think maybe that's just, you know, I probably haven't gone to as many gigs as other people have that might have been stagehands and progressed up to producing the shows. But um, certainly I think it's mostly been on the recorded side of, of, of the business, you know, and, uh, and so that's typically where I've stayed. Um, I forgot what the question was. What was the question? Yeah. Oh, I think it was just, do you think it's a growing trend for, for, well, sorry, I was just asking about your background actually. Right. Um, uh, and you, you alluded, you worked at, um, Sony as well. Um, I mean, I guess how did, I'm, I'm actually very interested. How did Ingrooves come about? Well, so Ingrooves, uh, so just a slight correction. I, I built the, um, the ex North American business from the ground up. I started gotcha. that in my, in my bedroom, uh, and with Rob McDaniels, who's now the CEO over at Beatport, but the founder of Ingrooves. Uh, you know, he and I built this global business and later got bought by Universal. Uh, and that came about because I had got, by complete chance, involved with digital distribution before it was called digital distribution. I was working at a, a record company called Media Records. I was doing this thing called licensing, which kind of covered many different sins. Uh, and then when, when the sort of earliest DSPs came around, that these agreements would appear at the company and they looked like licensing contracts so they were just given to me and what i then realized is that it, it wasn't just as simple as looking through the agreement and working out whether it's something you wanted to do or not as a business you then also had to do the supply of the, the audio and the artwork and the metadata and and again this is perhaps slightly unnecessary because it's, it's an irrelevance now but none of that stuff at record companies was organized i mean every metadata that was label copy. we used to call it label copy because it was the stuff that went on the back of the vinyl records it wasn't anything to do with you know a database anywhere and it was all in word documents so you then had to convert that into excel spreadsheets yes nick i'm very old it's, it's horribly <laughs> no nick, not the age nick, i just nick, I just, can't. Just, nick just looked at me and went what bits of paper <laughs> yes no that's right and and actually that's true so so at this particular record company we had all of our uh, audio masters on dats in boxes that also contained a printout of the label copy. And that was, that was the storage. That was our, you know, that was that our- That was your database. That was our database. And we actually had, there was a, there was a chap, unfortunately passed away, but um, he, he knew every catalog number, because that's how we stored things, by catalog number. He could tell you the, the release, what remixes were done. He knew the entire, and this is a large catalog. He knew everything by, in, from the catalog number. And it's like, Wow. It was it was the most impressive thing. People used to just shout across the office. You know, his name was Rich. He was like, "Hey, Rich, you know what's the what's which box is this in?" Type of thing. And he was, oh, "Isn't that that one there?" Just knew it. It was it was really really impressive. Anyway, databases now exist, and so we can all do it. Mm. Um, but uh, I, again, can't remember where I was going with this. But um, it was the setup of uh, digital start. distribution. Yeah. So uh, so yeah. So that got me into that world, and it was at a time when. Uh, there wasn't really digital supply chain businesses. They were just sort of starting to come about. And certainly a lot of record companies didn't have any agreements with the, the DSPs, as we call them now, or the mm. you know, digital retailers. Um, this is obviously all downloads, pre-streaming really. 
Um, and, uh, and so the trade body AIM had started to realize that their members, their they represent record companies typically, uh, didn't know what they were doing or didn't needed some help, we just say. And so they put together a couple of committees, uh, the new media committee, the business affairs committee, and then you had kind of the board that would sign off and stuff. And so I left this record company having met these, these people that were doing this sort of very early kind of foray into trying to help technology companies interact with the music industry. That was what, really what we're talking about here. Um, because the two were not natural bedfellows, you know, the music industry weren't technologists for the mm. most part. I mean, not every record company or every person at a record company would have had a computer back when I, you know, when I was mm. doing it, because, you know, they don't need it. Um, so, uh, that, so the, and this was all just really, you know, technology evolving, I suppose, around us. But so, so, so what I was doing at the trade body was the very first collective negotiations for record companies in, in the UK. We now call this, and Jeremy would hate me for making the comparison, but this is kind of what Merlin does now, right? But we were doing it from a slightly different angle where we were just putting together sort of template agreements. So the record company still had to sign up directly to the DSP. Um, and as a consequence, they then had to maintain the relationship ongoing, which was the, the asset supply, so the metadata, the artwork, and the audio, and also the marketing relationships. Um, so it wasn't aggregation in that sort of way. Um, but of course, over, over in the States, this wasn't really happening so much. And you had companies like The Orchard, IOTA, as was, mm. um, and Ingrus, and they were the kind of the three big companies that were, the, you know, looking at this. And during this period of time when I was at the record company and, and the trade body, I had uh, my own company. I had a, a label management company that, um, born out of the record company that, uh, that I had. And uh, because I started to work with this, um, this, this company called Rights Router, which was a consultancy firm to, uh, uh, to the trade body, and they'd built the technology. So that was their, their bit of it. Um, you know, I, I just kind of got uh, you know, in, involved in, in that world, and I had my own aggregation as part of my label management company that was using the technology of mm. this, this, you know. And so that was kind of where all that happened. And, and over time, uh, the... That, that company rights router that got bought by uh, an American uh, telecommunications linked company because they thought they could you know do something clever with the media assets over the the copper wires uh, that they had as their network um, and so it built this other business called Broad Street Digital um, it went through a few name changes before we got to that point uh, and then that eventually got sold to royalty share so uh, which then got bought by the orchard every company gets bought by somebody it seems um, <laughs> or at least ones that I get involved with do and and it, and I essentially was just consulting for royalty share at the time, you know, helping the handover. I knew it was coming to an end. And a mutual friend of mine who I now again work with, a guy called PJ Dule, brilliant guy, one of the sort of the early minds in this space as well. Um, you know, he, uh, he 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 knew this guy called Rob McDaniels uh, and Rob was trying to figure out how he could take his San Francisco-based company onto the global stage. Didn't have anyone outside of uh, North America, San Francisco, and uh, Rob and I met up and, and honestly hit it off immediately. And he just sort of said, kind of give it a go, see what you can do. And I already had got this kind of large set of relationships with UK-based record companies. Mm. So all I did is I just went out and spoke to the, all the people that I already knew and said, hey, we've got this cool company. They've got some really, really good tech. And that was always Ingrid's thing. It was really good mm. technology. Why Universal got, I mean, you know, at Ingrid's, we handled Universal's 
uh, North American digital supply chain for decades. You know, it's like, that, mm -hmm. you know, that's how that relationship kind of came around. Um, so, uh, yeah, so that, that was really kind of how I found my way into that. And, and of course, over time, built it up. You know, I opened offices all around the world um, and had a great old time with it. And it was by far... I would say the the most fun I've had in the music industry, and and mm -hmm. I think that I think that's quite interesting because I have worked directly with artists and all the kind of glamorous stuff, but this was just it was it was the birth of digital distribution, and it was so exciting. Mm. Yeah, I, I, you know, and I th so that must have been early two thousands, mid mid two thousands. Well, so that was I mean I was early two thousand and two. I think I really kind of got involved with mm. digital distribution. Um, and this is all pre-DDEX and things that we take for granted now, by the way, in which I was partly mm. involved with, um, you know, helping mm. form that. And, uh, yes, so Ingrid's was uh, 2008. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I think when I when I started the label, it was 2009. And I do think it was a really exciting time because, you know, as well as what was happening on the back end and what you were working on, you know, there was YouTube had just started blowing up. UKF had just started, you know, the whole like, like, you know, channel music channels being born out of just having someone um, curate music on a YouTube channel. And I think it was a really exciting time. Um, yeah. Uh, it still is an exciting time. It's, just in a it, different still way. Is, it still is. I, I mean, I, I've kind of moved slightly away from my uh, digital distribution roots because it, it became honestly really easy to do and everybody everybody has a distribution business i mean i just interviewed uh, a guy um called uh, andy irvine from uh, direct distribution he's now built a company so that you can have your own distribution company not your own record label your own distribution company it's like it's become that easy to kind of build mm. the build the tech but the tech didn't exist i mean the you know the first metadata sets we were working off had five fields they're essentially id3 tags mm. you know and that that has got more complex and, and more involved and uh, uh, and it, and it's a, and it's a you know it's still a big old job you know you've got to maintain multiple relationships across the globe uh, you know with all these DSPs or, and all those technical data feeds but of course there are companies like Fuga in the world where they just sort of go well it's all right we'll take care of it for you mm. now um, so it's it's just it's changed it's not I don't think it's as innovative and as interesting anymore I've kind of done that. Uh, so that's kind of where I've, I've moved on to. You're like me. It's like, it's all about the new. <laughs> and once something's established, that's, it's like, what's the next thing? Well, you know, exactly. Why not? Right. Yeah. I, I, you know, and, and I think that again, that comes back to that curious mind that we've, that we've mentioned before, mm. you know, and, and I, and I am, and I'm, I'm well read in, in blockchain and, and cryptocurrencies and, you know, NFTs and I've written a few blog posts and, you know, I, I, that, that's something I'm very interested in because it's, it is a potential, you know, new way of doing things, mm -hmm. and uh, and I, I'm quite, just quite. Curious. I I'm I'm all about that. We'll we'll have to discuss after yeah, that sure. whole NFT thing. Um, so, you know, through you, you know, you've worked at some of these huge companies before, and and um and it, whether either directly within them or indirectly, um, and I'm sure you've worked with some pretty successful artists. You worked, you mentioned Josh Wink before. What was the one artist you're most proud of? And and the project that you were kind of part of. Uh, one of my fondest memories from back in the day was working with Satoshi Tommy. Um, I just, you know, I was a bit of a fan anyway, and so to, to get to work with him at an early stage of my career, and you know, meeting the, uh, you know, the the, uh, uh, the Def Mix crew, Judy Weinstein, and you know, working with 
to some really, really, you know, legendary people very early on, having a great old time in Ibiza, you know, getting sort mm. of like VIPs to, to club nights and things like, you know, as a, as a, as a young sort of early 20, well, you know, coming out of my teens, I guess, into you know, early 20s, you know, that was just a hell of a time. I'd say more recently, though, uh, something I'm really proud of that, that I've just done with Empire is working with uh, uh, an Indonesian superstar called Afghan, uh, who's a soul singer, um, you know, in, in Indonesia. I've seen him fill a stadium on his own. You know, he's, he's just he's just huge, you know, so just millions of followers on Instagram and, uh, you know, does really, really well. Uh, in the music space um and we've just done a, a record with with empire it's his first full english album um and this was something that i'd wanted to do for a long time working with um, asian artists in general and trying to help them cross into other markets to the west um, mm -hmm. because they just they were just really struggling to do it because there's language there's just access uh you know and and but of course the internet has changed a lot of this you know you can now have these and we've seen it with k-pop and lots of other things you know i'm not the first person to thought of doing it um and so we did that that first record uh we had uh, a former korean uh, star and uh, from from hong kong jackson wang and that opened up new markets for, for afghan in in asia and that was that was a great sort of moment but then we just had robin thick uh you know do a remix of one of his records and that started to open up the the american side of things and so that that project was just it's just a really good way of again i think there's a sort of a natural curiosity that i have about is this sort of thing possible mm. and yes it's not it didn't go number one in the states and in the uk and that would have obviously been a fantastic moment but it, it's the very beginnings of taking this artist who is already a huge star in his home country into new markets and i'm i'm that's something i've been very interested in for a long time i think a bit of a byproduct byproduct of some of the work that i did at ingrews where we you know, had people on the ground that understood the local market that we would make connections, mm. uh, you know, with things. I suppose the other artist I'd like to mention also is um, working with Adam Lambert. He was a, an absolute scholar and a gent and uh, a lot of fun to, to be around and, and a true talent. And, and that was something I did uh, a couple of years ago now. But um, but that was that was awesome. That was a great experience. When going back to the artist Afghan, you mentioned um, language and access you know what why they're struggling what what which one do you think it, it, it is do you think it's my gut is like is it an access thing is it is they're just a connection so they don't know the right people like what do you think is that biggest barrier for the crossover well, i mean some of the stuff that you do with the label machine you know this is um the, those skills of taking a record to market if you appreciate that uh these the indonesia in particular um, it's one i know very well a lot of my good friends now are the people that run the industry. I mean, and I mean that in the sense that it's just not very big. Mm. And this is in part because they didn't really have a recorded music business for so long because of piracy. Mm. So they didn't concentrate on that. And so a lot of the, 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 the Indonesian stars, yes, they'll do a record, but that's not really the bit. It's the, it's the live side of things. It's the, uh, you know, brand endorsements. It's the, you know, doing things on the TV or whatever. It's like, their industry, their bit where the money comes from, comes from. It's much more. It doesn't come from recorded music. It doesn't come from right. the sale of recorded music, and that has started to change. And so, if you appreciate that when that wasn't there before, it's kind of like what, like it's but it's a lot harder to take that celebrity concept and export that. Whereas the music can travel much better. Mm. Uh, and so, uh, and so that that's been a big change for them. YouTube's driven a lot of that just because you know, ad funded, free access, you know, you've got a population of you know, 
264 million people, but so many of those, in fact, the large majority of them are you know, very poor by Western standards and therefore have limited access. But again, those things are changing. You know, one of the things that I always talk about is the, the fascination that I, when I realized that there's such a large secondhand market for uh, smartphones, you know, and I saw them go through the, the feature phone evolution, um, something doing, going in and out of the, the country for, for so many years. You know, watching that sort of evolution of technology and then also connectivity. And that was something that if you think about countries like Indonesia, they they skipped broadband pretty much. It's not that broadband doesn't exist. Of course it does. But in the sort of more provincial parts where the, the mass mm. populace is, the first bit of connectivity they got, because there wasn't telephone lines, right? So you mm. couldn't run. No one had, no one had a telephone. Mm. But then mobile phones came in because they could put masts. In fact, I mm. worked with somebody who's... Uh, grandfather was one of the sort of early pioneers around putting mobile phone masts in place um and you know so they skipped it so of course this this movement to digital music consumption they've kind of already they were already really sort of set up for it you know b beforehand if you like um and so uh I, you know that's been it's been a slower process so it, it's technology it's connectivity then also having the requisite skill set to then take that record to market in the internet age and if you don't you weren't really focused on recorded music before as a the thing that you were really you know promoting mm. um, as opposed to celebrity. It's just a different way of looking. Um, so yeah. So would, 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 just sticking on the um, you know the the Asia territory as well, um, and you say it's changing. Is there a growing, I guess, middle class that can afford to say, you know, buy merch or have a Spotify? Um, pro subscription account you know where they pay for it like is is that growing year on year or is it something static like what you know it's definitely growing um there are some odd things about that country in particular um you will never find an official apple store in the country apple aren't allowed to have actual shops there so just in the, the most basic sense of buying that handset they have premium resellers right so there's a sort of a a bit of a loophole there so you see the premium resellers but there's very heavy taxation the devices are much more expensive and actually if you've got enough money to have one of these things in the first place you don't buy it from indonesia you get on a plane you go to singapore and you buy it from there and it it's, it's, it's so you're talking expensive. about the device that will actually place that's right. spotify like, downloaded and play like, it. exactly like the beginning stages of it and this and gotcha. this is why you know companies like samsung have done so well uh, and of course you know the, the therefore the android platform so there's, there's just a diff, there's a, it's a different market. It's a very different market to the West. And so, like in America, like Empire, for example, over indexes on Apple Music, in part because of the music genre, that sort of you know, beats by Dre, therefore hip hop kind of thing. Um, but also, uh, just um, uh, the you know, the dominance of Apple in in America uh, as a as a handset, mm. which then of course it's just easier to have Apple Music, right? there when you get the phone um, mm. and they've obviously seeded their way, way into that but it just isn't true for the rest of the world not not in the slightest mm. um, and it's why companies like Tencent Chinese company do so well in fact the biggest streaming service in Indonesia is Jukes which is owned by Tencent right it's just that it's a very very different market and unless you know that stuff like mm. it's really hard to kind of navigate are the uh, uh, is the audience there becoming more open to Western music. So I guess where I'm going for this is I, I, I believe that like if you're in, you're talking about taking someone from Asia and bringing it to Western, I'm sort of talking about what about people in 
Western music want to go that way? Um, because, uh, it, you know, is is it growing? Like, is yeah. that is it, for sure? And uh, one of the the most sort of popular ways of experiencing music in, in somewhere like Indonesia is, go, is to go to a karaoke uh, place. And just anecdotally on that, one thing because I've spent a lot of time doing that because that's just how the people like like to spend their evenings, right? Mm. So a lot of business meetings or just hanging out with friends, you know, would be you know in one of those types of venues. And uh, I'm always fascinated by the fact that you know whether it's Oasis or Blur or you know some other band from my past, um, the songs that they like to sing to aren't the songs that were the hits in the UK, right? And it's because it's the B-sides, it's the more ballady stuff, because in Indonesia, pop music typically is fairly sort of, we would call it quite vanilla. It's for, it's love songs. It's, mm. you know, it's falling in love or breaking up, right? That's pretty much what every song is about, right? Um, and so I think that's had an impact on how people have enjoyed music from the West. And they're not, they're just not always the big records that went to radio in the uk they're the they're the they're often the b-sides they're the ones that are slightly less you know catchy or or she's probably the wrong word but more like they're, they're less gritty they're less sort of uh, divisive and yeah right mm. so there's just lots of kind of nuances about countries like indonesia and of course they're all different they all have you know there are sometimes some similarities but um yeah so uh you, you mentioned ballads like, um, so if people are listening and they do want to kind of, you know, take their music to say, and, and let's, let's break it up into two rough groups. You've got Asia, you've got, um, China mainland. Um, what would you say are the top three genres that, that people are, that are growing and listening to out there? And talking about like pop rock, like indie rock, EDM, and maybe hip hop. Those are those growing. Or? Well, EDM's always travelled quite well into other countries because of the lack of lyrics, uh, generally. Um, so it's it's quite accessible, right? Mm -hmm. um, and and the idea of a you know a club is a now a fairly sort of common form. Um, okay. I think though that you've got to get you've got to you know get past a little bit of your Western understanding of things. So, for example, one of the most uh, popular forms of music in, in Indonesia is something called Dangdut. And Dangdut is fairly high energy. They actually have a sort of an EDM version of it, but it's it's music for the masses. It's it's what, if you go to the villages, that's what they listen to. That's what they like. Mm -hmm. And it's completely alien to, to what we would listen to in the West. We just would never listen to it. There are kind of some Western things, I guess, a, a little bit like it, but um, it's, you know, it's, it's music for the people, of the people. Uh, so... It depends on what you're trying to do. You know, I, you know, I've been doing some work um, uh, with Zing out in Vietnam, for example, and you know, we're really trying to work out how can we make our music perform better on what is the the biggest local service there. And unfortunately, what's the biggest sort of music there is local music. It they don't care about <laughs> like right. you know these these artists from even some of the biggest artists in in the world. You know, just don't do as well as the local celebrities. But of course they don't, right? Of course they don't. You know, in the same way that, you know, only the odd sort of, you know, Scandi, you know, sort of, mm. you know, folk singer will make it through in the UK because we've got our own stuff. We're interested in our own celebrity, right? Mm. We, we, you know, that's, and it's the same the world over. So, but if, but you can find your way in. Um, uh, I guess not wanting to put, I, I guess then, you know, not saying 
you want to try and push it on like hey there's a huge audience there so like let's get involved but i mean yeah you're saying for the the music for the people maybe not so much but you know is there is there a growing interest in western music there is yeah so that it so is, it is worth it, it is, is worth going it is absolutely changing yeah so i i did some work with uh, an artist she's just been signed to, to warner now um a hip-hop artist and when i first met her hip-hop was still in the indonesia quite quite a sort of uh underground type of music uh, there was definitely a scene but it was nowhere near what it is in, in the uk or in the, in the states and uh, but the, the fact that she can even have a career is what's changing. She wouldn't have been able to do that before. Uh, Raman Girl is the, the artist. Mm -hmm. look um, and, but it's now, there, there is enough people there now that have gone, oh, right, there's all this kind of new sounds that we've not really heard before. Uh, and the internet is absolutely helping you know, spread that message. And YouTube in particular has done a fantastic job, I think, in a lot of these types of countries where... YouTube, are they, do they use Facebook and Instagram much? Yeah. Uh, uh, Facebook, yes, uh, yeah, yeah, they do. Um, there are in many of these countries local services um, that that are, are more popular. Mainland China, of course, you know, with the way that the internet works out there, you know, you really need to be sort of on a, a WeChat rather than a WhatsApp. You know, it's like, mm. it's just kind of how it is. Um, so yes, there are there are uh, local services. Um, I guess I'm just trying to you know think about you know what we what how you can. Um, you know, like the, the method I have of like creating interest and in getting people interested in your music and growing your audience, you know, is doing the paid advertising using those platforms, yeah. you know, do you think that can work? By the sounds out of YouTube's big, it sounds like you'd be wanting to run YouTube based advertising yeah, campaigns out for there. Sure. For sure. Okay. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and, and yeah, and there are, there's, there's plenty of places where you can get the statistics from, from, uh, yeah, from the different countries for the different platforms. Um, and, but you're absolutely right that, that, the idea of running a sort of a global paid ad campaign, no, you've got to really understand what 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 people are actually using locally in in, in the country for mm -hmm. sure, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And and it might change over, of course, age demographic or um, you know maybe genre of music and therefore the type of person that, that might engage with that type of platform. So, um, yeah, no, can work, but just test, 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 exactly. Uh, and again, it depends on what your goals are. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so we, we've talked, I, I guess, moving back to, um, uh, music in the West, um, I know through uh, Rota, you you work with more up and coming artists. I'm sure you work with up and coming artists across all your, you know, all your different companies. Um, I guess in the last few years, what are some of the challenges you've seen for artists trying to break into the music industry today? Okay, I have a good one for you because you're mm -hmm. like you're like this. There's a statistical thing about this. Um, I worked with uh, an artist who was formerly known as Emily Middlemas. Uh, mm -hmm. She was an X Factor finalist, um, and as a consequence, went on the tour that they do after the show. Um, and you know, as a consequence, had quite a large following. Um, but you know, she also was a, a child back then, and she grew up, and so she wanted to change her image and uh, and how she presented herself to, to, to the rest of the world. And I guess one of the sort of big takeaways from the campaign that I worked on with her was it came at a time where she wanted to change her stage name. Now, that has such an impact on everything that you've got up until that point, right? I mean, social handles. But the biggest one for us was 
the uh, the Spotify artist profile, and that that really messed up that campaign because, and I think everybody involved in that probably underestimated how much because, of course, if you're following Emily Middlemas, mm. you aren't getting notified about the new her new stage name is Illy. You're not getting notified about the new music, and so it was a real like ground up trying to create this artist out of nowhere. Right. I mean, yes, you had access because you had some social channels, but then they got changed and, and we saw a massive drop off when we, cha we changed that name over because we ported them over. They're like, who's Illy? Like, mm. that doesn't mean anything to me because they fall in, in love with her through the experience of watching X Factor. And so, you know, you have to be so conscious about those sorts of things. But it really messed up the, the algorithms. You know, it's like you artists, you know, it, just, mm. it didn't mean anything to Spotify in the way that that all mm. works. So we missed out on playlists. We missed out on a whole bunch of stuff. And it was kind of heartbreaking to watch because actually I think that the, the sort of the image that she created around herself and she looked better, she felt better, she sounded better, you know, and this was musically a change in what she was doing. It was more, you know, grown up, a bit more edgy than what she'd done before. So she'd done it for all the right reasons of being an artist and wanting that expression of herself. Um, and it was a, you know, a fantastic you know, EP that we did together, but unfortunately it didn't, it didn't land. How did she have a big email list when she was? Well, this is the, this is the other thing. She didn't because she wasn't in control of that. It was all psycho and all the rest of it. Because that's why I was just, I, because my next question was like, what would have you done differently? Like how would have you, now you've gone through experience to make that more of a success and, you know, and answering my own question, I guess I was thinking, when you just said they didn't have an email list, I was like, yeah, because if you had all those, it was, she wasn't in control of it, all on Facebook, Instagram and everything and Spotify. Whereas if all those audiences, she also had their email addresses, yeah. she would just email and go, hey guys, I'm now going to be changing my thing and going on this new journey. Who's with me? So to her credit, that we did spot that as a, as a flaw and she has been trying to build that up you know, ever since. And uh, she's getting better at it. The emails look better. They, they're better organized. But she's now on her own, right? I mean, this is the thing. It's like she she went from having this whole big sort of, you know, psycho, uh, which is the label, mm. you know, around her and people doing stuff for her. And then she didn't, right? And and in part, you know, she wanted to, you know, go it alone and do it herself. And it's not to say she doesn't have good people around her, um, but, you know, it was it was a very different experience for her, I think, than, than what she had done previously. Uh, and and the, the name change really unfortunately because of the way the, those algorithms work mm. it just really messed up the the results like, great campaign but underestimated that so yeah it was, it was a bit of a shame but uh, but she you know she's a fighter and she's doing some great stuff now and continuing on and it's great to see her flourish and she's a great songwriter so she's now writing for some really big acts and having really big success elsewhere it's great great to see oh awesome so illy is it illy yes i-l-l -L. just l-i-l-i I-L-I. -I. Go check it out. Yeah. Um, so my my audience of listeners, um, they're setting up music companies themselves, record labels, mm -hmm. um, being that you have built up some pretty incredible music companies in the past. What would be some advice you'd give to your younger self um, that some other music entrepreneurs um, would benefit um, the most from, That being that they're at the beginning of their journey? Okay, so I think one of the things that I've realized in my older self, uh, and it's really manifested in what my, my podcast is, is I didn't fully appreciate at the time 
the uh, amount of information I'd got from other people. And I think, I think, I hope at least that I'm a relatively good listener. Uh, and certainly a lot of the anecdotal stories that I was being told back then about how to, you know, get through a particular issue or just something to look out for or just a great experience or something to think about as how you, uh, you know, evolve a particular project. Um, you know, though, listening to all of, all of that input, uh, you know, was something I probably should have really, I suppose, just paid more attention to because that collective knowledge, I still use a lot of it now. Like I still think back to, oh, that's right, that happened then. So let's not do that now because that doesn't work or whatever it might mm. be. Um, so I, 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 as we've mentioned before, you know, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm curious by nature, but listen to other people. And I always say that to, to people on my, my podcast is, you know, li listen to all of that information and choose the bits that you think are right and put it all back together again and then, you know, do the things that you want to do in the future. Um, other career advice, uh, I, more luck than judgment, progressed very quickly to, to running businesses. Uh, I don't know that that's anything other than I moved around a lot. Um, and it can be hazardous on your CV, right? People distrust that person that comes and goes. Mm. It was never very purposeful. I mean, it just sort of happened. I just saw an opportunity and went for it, really. Um, but I moved around a lot. And as a consequence, you just learn so much more. I, and that's not to say that, um, and maybe for d different people, it works differently, right? And and I'm slightly envious every now and again when I think about it, probably overthink it. The people that, are, you know, yeah. go into, say, a major record company at the bottom and stay with it for 20 years or whatever, right? Oh, no, and, I'm, and I, I, and I, I think and, and, I, and, I, and I've singled out the, the major record companies there. And of course, there are many other companies that you could do that with now. Um, and that's admirable. It really is. And, you know, it's just, but, and I think that creates a very different type of music executive, personally. Like, mm. I, I know that, I, I recently was at Warner uh, and I built Level, as you mentioned in your, in your intro, which is their DIY distribution business. And it's a very alien place for someone like me now. You know, I'm the, I'm not really very used. I mean, I was lucky because really I was like, you know, kind of like the startup guy, right? I was sort of walked in there and was creating this business from scratch. I mean, literally naming it you know, onwards. Um, you know, great, great support from the people at Warner. You know, I really think very highly of a lot of them. There. Um, and as a consequence, I wasn't so sucked into some of the sort of very structured departmental, mm. but I came into contact with it. So I sort of was able to sort of view it almost from the outside, looking to see kind of the structure that was in place. That's not somewhere where I would ever exist very well. I don't think. Like mm. I just, it's, to, it's, and, and the people that do well there are very happy uh, doing that job, that, that very specific job. You know, yeah, I think you're almost talking about the different types of people Yes. Yeah, there's some people that yeah. just suit, like, follow the path. Yeah. No, neither of them are, like, right or wrong or better 100%, or worse. definitely not Another right or wrong. Or worse. Yeah, it's yeah, just some sure, people prefer, sure. I'm in the lane, I just focus on that. Yeah. Uh, and other people are like, um, I need to be across many things. Yeah. And that's where you, you know, that's where you work well. I, and I'm, I'm like you, I'm more like across many things. Yeah. So I, I guess, you know, going back some some of the advice, what I kind of picked up from that then is um, learn off, learn as much as you can either off your, off the people you're working with and your experiences and, um, or, you know, be curious and, and, um, yeah, just try and learn and absorb and then take in what's going to work for me. Yeah. And also don't be dismissive of new ideas. Uh, that's something that I think has held the music industry back. Um, you know, and it's, and it's a horrible cliche, but there's that sort of idea of the, the, 
typically older white male record executive that um, is in charge of a, a music company um, that is is saying no to things. And of course, as we've discussed, I lived through the very early digital adoption by the consumer. We just call it that. Mm. And it was sort of railed against by certain people that I came across in the music industry. And I can't tell you the amount of times that I was at Medium meeting with labels, explaining to them that streaming was a better way for the music fan to discover music. And they just wouldn't have it, wouldn't have it at all. And, and it was, I guess, in part of fear if they didn't understand it. They were somebody who'd grown up buying, you know, vinyl records, cassettes, CDs, whatever. And that's, that was music, you know, that was how it was mm. delivered. Uh, and, and the idea of just listening to a track was, it was already kind of from the download age, you know, something that they'd felt very, um, you know, anti because it had it broken apart the container that had all of the tracks on. Now, that one track that was, you know, you'd got the expensive songwriters in to help the artist do a really good catchy, you know, hit radio record. You could just buy that song. You didn't have to buy the album. Whereas mm. they built their businesses based on the idea that if you want that song, You've either got to buy a very expensive single CD or you get better value, but you know, better bang for your buck by buying the album. But of course it was still more money, right? See the basket value. So, you know, th th that whole change that went on and, and it was held back by people that didn't want to see that change. But just, yeah, but not just an executive level. I remember I was in the States and, um, I was in, the, we were going between gigs, uh, at one of the EDM festivals and, um, actually I won't, I won't say the artist's name, um, but it was pretty high profile and we were discussing Spotify and streaming was becoming more popular and he was just so against it. And there were so many artists in the early days that didn't like it. And I was just thinking while you're saying that, I was like, well, why didn't they like it? And it was a money thing. They were like, I'm not going to earn as much money. So I don't think it's great. And they were really, they were like, I'm not supporting it. I'm not sending people to Spotify. And I was saying like, I was like, look, it, you, you should get in now because it is definitely the future. Like the more people, if you can grow Spotify now, you, it's going to pay dividends in the future. And they were like, we had a bit of an argument about it, you know, and I was thinking, well, we'll see how things turn out. And of course, you know, it's where it's gone is with the streaming. So yeah, I think it was not just exec level. It's, it was across the industry. People just, yeah, not, not, not wanting to get on board with that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so um, we talked about challenges um, I'm just going to have a quick look at time. Goodness me. How long have we been recording this one? Uh, 42 minutes. Um, okay. I'm going to skip that question. I'm going to get on to kind of selling music questions. Um, because I know you've got, got to have some great insight on here. Um, so record sales, um, or streaming sales, uh, where are you finding royalties are coming from across the major platforms? from Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Tidal. Um, yeah, where are, you, where are you seeing, yeah, what's the breakdown? Where are you seeing much of that coming from? Yeah, it, it depends on, on the record company. Um, Empire, for example, does uh, very well in the, uh, the jail system in uh, America, for example. Um, and, you know, we, as a company... You mean jails as in... As in prisons, yeah. Yeah. So in America, they, they, it's, it's business... And, uh, you know, it, it, you can make a, you know, a decent amount of money from that. So that, that's, that's a sort of, that's a sort of like a nuanced bit, I suppose, about empire, but no, look, empire is these days, it puts out very you know, commercially acceptable music as much as it has the sort of harder or less, uh, you know, more, or more niche, you know, sort mm -hmm. of, you know, styles. 
but it's all the usual suspects for a western based company right it's it is your youtube it is your, your spotify and your apple and then it starts to fall away and you get into sort of deezer and tidal and, mm. and some of the others but again certain records do better in, on on other platforms you know deezer's massive in france right so if you, it's if based, you exactly it? yeah mm. well this is it and 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 that's why that's why you know my former career of, of digital distribution and aggregation was so important because you didn't necessarily know where it was going to work i mean we, we at empire we just had a an interesting thing recently where uh, a African artist that we're working with called Kitty uh, got picked up by um, a, a Bollywood star on TikTok. And so all of a sudden we're like, he's now massive in India. How did, how did that happen? So we've, not the UK, not the US, like it's like nothing to do with any of those countries. So now we've got to figure out his African story and his Indian story. I mean, other things as well, mm. but you know, and it was, Suddenly, of course, like the like the, one, the biggest platform there is Savern. So you know, I'm now going, right. Okay, now we've got to really focus on this DSP. That so called Savern. Savern. S A A V N. Right. A G O Savern. J I O S A. Yeah, it's the the biggest platform there, and but it's because it has deals with all the local music and the, the local repertoire, and of course in India, that's what they like listening to, right? It's just what they like listening to. It's okay. Like they're different, you know, it's fine. Um, but, you know, it, but it has meant that this African artist has crossed into that, that sort of that focus because it by, not by accident, but by, by accident, this, this local mm. celebrity has pick, picked up his record. And of course, you know, TikTok has done that for so many records, older records as much as newer stuff mm. as well. I guess, um, I guess staying on TikTok, have, have you, you know, everyone's talking about getting discovered on TikTok do you think that is, like you said accidentally, do you think that's something that can be engineered or do you think it's it's just chance? Like, you know, if, so if we're talking to just all artists out there, like just make sure you're available on TikTok. Um, yeah, what's your kind of experience on that? Is it just be on there and roll the dice or can you engineer it? You, you, can, you can definitely have impact, um, you know, uh, we we try. <laughs> is it too? It's maybe too early days to really be able to make a call on that. Yeah, I, I think I think yeah. a little bit. I mean, you know, we always employ influencer strategies on our bigger records, right? You have to, whether it's Instagram or TikTok or whatever, right? So you're being very purposeful about the, the targeting, uh, you know. But we've also it's so, also so just stick, so that's really interesting. So just sticking on there. Mm -hmm. Influencer campaign. So, you, what would you define a bigger record? Oh well, at at Empire, it's kind of defined by uh, whether or not we're uh, uh, probably spending money on it. Um, that's that's a bit of a sort of a, a definition. You know, the the, the company's almost split split in two. We have our almost like legacy distribution business, mm -hmm. that, that, and we still do that for both companies and individuals themselves. Um, but certainly, Empire is is evolving as as, as it goes along and. You know, Ghazi, who owns it, has always wanted to be more on the sort of being a record label than it was a distribution company. Um, so it's a good story as to how he ended up there, but I won't go into it now. I've covered it I think, on my podcast, so I go and listen to it there. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, so the um, uh, where were we? Yes. So I was asking about what what defines a big record. So you were oh, saying, right, yeah, you're yeah. going to spend money on it. Yeah. So you've got you've got um, you're going to spend money. So you let's say you got you what fifty grand budget. 
we're like, okay, cool. We're going to push this record. We've got 50 grand. And you're saying influencer is really important. So how are you going? What, what, are, you, what are the actual steps to go through there? Do you use particular platforms? I think there's one called Whale to reach out to the influencers. Mm-hmm. Can you just kind of talk through that process yeah, a little the, bit? And there's, there's, yeah, so there's, there's lots of these companies and we're, and we're always trying new ones all the time. And sometimes they have exclusive relationships with certain influencers. So they are literally the only way of getting to them. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a there's a great company called Tagger Media that is a, it's kind of like a social list Tagger Tagger T A G G E R then media right dot com. Tagger Media yeah. and they have this great service where uh, they it's social listening so they they're constantly listening to what's going on out there um, on on the internet and they distill all of that down um, into acquirable uh, you know, metrics so you as a say you're a brand and you want to get into a particular tribe on the internet you can use then music influencers or other influencers to 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 take your brand into it and and they have have this like really like simple stuff where they can they 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 put on a screen all of the most popular posts in one go and you can see what type of posts do particularly well for that particular influencer and then you can actually make your content fit for that i mean it's 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 quite simple really but what they will then do is help connect you with that influencer. So, right. so that so you can kind of dial into what's going to be the most effective type of person to support you. Now, in 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 what Empire does, a lot of the time we already know these people or their particular channels. Uh, we also a few of them as well. Some of the secret sauce there, but they but they were built up organically, and we've just brought them on, mm. under our wing type of thing, I suppose. Mm. Um, but it means that we can continually talk to uh, you know an audience. Um, in a way that's not sell, sell, sell. And yeah. you really, really, I think the the secret there is to just be part of the culture. It's it's more important to understand what's important to the audience and try, you know, the amount of money the company spends on just making documentaries of stuff that we think people will be interested in. Yeah, it's going to probably promote the artist or a particular genre or, you know, a particular you know, neighborhood or something. But it's all it's all part of that, mm. right? And so, you know, Ghazi's always been brilliant at, at seeing past the kind of, straight ROI on, you know, putting a record out and like, you know, if we do that, then how much are we going to get back? He sees past all of that. He's much more about being fully integrated as, as, a, as an individual, as a company into the, the different scenes that we inhabit as a business. Mm. Um, and I mean that, you know, that's an advert for empire at this point, I suppose, but, um, uh, mm. sometimes gets lost, should we say with yeah. some of the other companies? Yeah. What, what, what was, um, when you talk about, so that was really almost a, sort of answering what I was going to ask with the tagger media is, you know, how, if you are using one of these influencer um, uh, platforms, you know, what, what kind of content are like, is it up for them to make the content or do you make the content for them or you do direct them? You know, like, so for someone who's like, I want to get into this, right. Mm-hmm. And I go to, I think Wales, one of them or one of these companies and I'm, I'm going through and I'm trying to figure out which influencer I should be um, uh, connecting to. And yeah, how, do, how does that work? Like, and what, what, what sort of, do you create the content for them? Like, uh, so, uh, no, typically um, that the, the influencer will create the content. Uh, it, you know, it might be that we've created um, gift boxes, you know, goodie bag type of things that we send to them. So they can do unboxings of like a, you know, a new release and, got some kind of interesting 
you know, bits that were made just for them, you know, in in the box. Um, there's all sorts of ideas that you can do. All oh, right, but, so you but, can be, you got a, if you've got an album coming out, you've got like the vinyl, the CD, a T-shirt, some stickers. Yeah. Put it in a box. Get them to unbox it. That's right. Yeah. It, yeah. It, and and it's it's so it's quite visual at that. Obviously, because we're talking about what, very visual media. For the yeah. Most part. Yeah. But you know things like dances that that you, you ask them to choreograph a dance. That's why they get paid so that they can choreograph mm. the dance and put that out into the world. And then obviously the hope is that their particular dance is the one that then gets you know picked up yeah. and then people replicate right because that's the that's the change in what's happening that on TikTok in particular right that's so you can engineer the opportunities, whether or not they take off is another thing. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And um, what are some like, you know, just for the metrics for the listeners, like what are, what are some numbers and budgets that you're, you know, you're looking at if I've got a, Hey, this, this influencer on TikTok is going to get 10,000 views on this on, on average on videos. If you do her song, like, how much is that costing these days? Yeah, you're definitely straying into an area of the business that I'm not as au fait with. You know, right. the, the, the like Empire, for example, has a dedicated team that does this this type of stuff. But yeah, we we typically would run an entire campaign, uh, uh, I don't know, maybe like 10 grand, right, as a sort mm -hmm. of baseline, right? That's a sort of like entry level type of campaign. But that would include some, some you know, mixing, mastering as, as much, you know, production mm -hmm. side of things as much as the ad spend. But yeah, I mean, I've I've been involved with campaigns that are as little as a couple of grand. Um, for, is that for just one influencer? Oh or, no, 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 no. Oh, no, no, no. So no, yeah, no, I, no, I was no, actually just so. very specific. I, 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 yeah, if you don't, if you're yeah, not sure I, what it I is. couldn't tell you. But what I can tell you is it it will be different for, and you will always be able to find somebody to fit your budget. Whether or not they're going to have the right impact is is neither here nor there. And actually, a lot of the time, these influencers, they're they can be connected to members of your team in some way. And so you end up getting favors done, you know, or something, or maybe they do, you know, five for the price of three. Right. 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 So there is actually no hard and fast rule to this. You do just negotiate. It's you negotiate. And that's one of the things that Tagger Media helps with. Mm. Um, so it's, you know, it's a. People uh, are talking a lot about this influence and, and it's something I've like looked into a little bit, but you know, I, I'm not sure. At the moment, I feel like it's in the domain of like Nike and Coca-Cola of big budgets going to these big influencers that have got millions of players. Definitely you know. not. Uh, uh, is, is Definitely you know, not. the independent musician out there that's got, you know what, I've got $200, pounds, $200. Can I use that influencer and am I going to get some results? Yeah, $200, you're probably only going to get like one influencer to, to do something for you. Um, Which is why you say it's on the bigger records. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's yeah. it's like any paid advertising right? Uh, you need to have more than that one moment, but right? you just do, you need to have mm. that sort of repetition of message. No. So, cause it might be that you get the influencer, but then you boost the post that they get. Right? Yeah. I see. These things have got to, they, they all work in tandem, but, um, no, it's, it, unfortunately it's, it, it's a business that's become, you know, a little commoditized. I mean, look, you might find in your, in your network or extended network that there are people that might just get behind it. Right. And so mm. therefore you've got free, influencers they're just people doing stuff mm. it's just that it's quite commoditized now so you if you want to buy it you can buy it mm. you know you just contact their agent or or the or the agency that's that's you know going to run the campaign for you they will have all the relationships already they can tell you immediately how much something's going to cost what will fit if your budget doesn't cope they'll you know uh they'll suggest something else um or if you've got more than they than they think you can spend right now then you great okay cool i don't need to spend it on that i can do something mm. else Mm. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Um, blogs are they still relevant? 
Look, yeah, good question. I think they are. Um, I I think that uh, le- le- I think less so. Right? There, there's other ways of 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 discovering music on mass. I think though that if you are a you know a real music fan, yeah, you're still reading them. You know, you're you're still of that ilk mm. of you know. I want a magazine. It's just print doesn't exist as much as it used to. Um, yeah, and and look, you know, SoundCloud, you know, has has helped keep the blogosphere alive from a music point of view um, because you can embed that audio, mm. right? And uh, so yeah, at blogs, mm, yeah, no, that they, they, they still have a place for sure. Okay, they still have a place. Moving on to social media, we've talked about TikTok um, as a growing thing, and for your most recent experience in the last six to nine months, where do you find, which, which channels do you find are flying at the moment for music and for the artists you work with? It's Instagram. Yeah. I, you know, that, that in particular is where a lot of people will focus their, their time and energy. It, 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 Instagram. It just, I think it's just got the right balance of that audio visual format in the, in the snippet you know, sort of function, I suppose, the worst we were, and and then TikTok. That they're they're the two that a company like Empire will spend probably the most amount of time in terms of social networks on mm. uh, targeting, focusing on, spending money on, etc. Um, and then mm. I know that our our head of digital marketing favors uh, YouTube for dig, uh, you know, digital ads. Oh right, well, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, yeah. No, he he just thinks he really rates it. It's really good. Um. You know, we've we were talking um, earlier about paid advertising um, on your podcast. Yeah. Um, but you know, now with the focus on you, what you know, what you've touched that you're using the paid advertising, for the influencer. Um, where else do you guys spend your money, and where do you where do you find paid paid advertising works best and get the best results? So, um, we will we will try and do, <laughs> and COVID's not made this easy. We will try and do some in real life things. So whether that's, uh, and then and then you and then we shoot content at it, right? And then that content forms part of the output that then is boosted as a as a, as a paid ad later on. So we're tr- we try to get past just the kind of the basics of having the artwork up in an mm-hmm. interesting visualizer. You know, we do try and just communicate, I suppose, more about who the artist is. Uh, you know that that you know that they are, and try and show other sides to them. That's why the you know Empire again. Sorry, it's just so much about Empire, but um, what, what uh, it's company pro- was that? Em- Empire. Empire. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Artists like um, you know Snoop Dogg and Iggy Azalea and Robin Thicke, and you know it's 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 one of the biggest music companies in the world now. It's, it's a, a Gazi who owns it has, has done a fantastic job of of building a literal empire. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, so sorry. Yes. Um, what were we what were we talking about there? Nick? Why can't I remember what we we're talking about? The question was: um, we we're talking about what works with um, paid advertising. You were saying um, so filming stuff. So I, I guess an, an extension on that question then um, is that just sort of filming a music video and then filming the behind the scenes, or what are what are some sort of no like, different it, things? It'll you're doing? be like listening parties, um, like get-togethers for artists uh, with fans. Uh, you know. It, Anything that we can kind of film where the the, the artist you know shows who they are. Uh, so again, the documentary side of things, I think, is is has been a, a grow, of growing interest at the company. I mean, again, Empire 
uh, does sort of, sort of kind of funny skits. Like um, uh, there's one where they they take you know artists back to the uh, the the local corner shop and they give them a, a, you know, a small amount of money. It's like what would you buy, right? And it's just that it's and they and these artists then tell stories about you know oh, I remember this sweet from when I was a kid mm. and this is what I would always you know get this bag of crisps or whatever and these ones these were the cheap ones I could afford these when I was you know before I was famous type mm. so th those sorts of things are really really engaging of course storytelling yeah storytelling yeah absolutely yeah and it, it just it fills out more about the artist than you know just the music that you hear because the music normally has lyrics that mean something right it, normally um, not always, but, <laughs> but normally. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, it's like, where does that come from? Like what, th th mm. that's of interest to me as, as the audience, I'm engaged with that because I, I relate to that, but I would then be as a music fan, want to know more. Mm. And so that's, you know, that's why it, it's more important to have more than just the album cover as the visual that's out there. You know, we need the artist, you know, in, in the world being a, a human being, and being, you know, that stage persona perhaps mm. in you know, real life. And so what would you, you know, because you, you know, you mentioned something out of Snoop Dogg and you're doing these documentaries, obviously bigger budgets, but what about for the, you know, the, the smaller independent record label solo artists that they're signing in these smaller budgets, if they wanted to then um, create these, um, you know, these visual video type things, mm -hmm. you know, have you got any um, ideas on how they could do, how you could do it on a smaller scale? Yeah, uh, there's an artist called Younger One that uh, we work with that has built this incredible, you know, career out of making interesting short videos himself. You know, he he, he does these kind of like they're like little stunts, really. So they they can they're short and they've got his music on and it's him doing something funny or you know whatever. And it and it and it just travels. It, it helps the music travel. So mm. you, you know, if you've got an iPhone or a, other other phones are also available. Uh, but these days, you know, that technology is, is much cheaper than it ever used to be, right? I mean, it just is. And so mm. you, nothing's really stopping you. And I, I, I realize I say this as a slightly privileged individual, but nothing's really stopping you from creating that content on a low budget and, and then just being smart, perhaps work with the label machine to understand how yeah. to be smart about how you take that content and make it travel. I think what, I think what I, where a lot of artists struggle and what I've seen is, how do you create something that isn't awkward and genuine? Because, you know, they'll go, oh, well, I'll film myself, you know, like in the kitchen maybe. Like, right. And, you know, you say, well, what well, are your interests? And is, that's a, I think that's a major stumbling block at the beginning. So, if someone's a natural entertainer, sure. they're going to get past that. But, you know, that's a third of people. What about the other two thirds? You know, they know they've got to create this visual content. How can they be non-awkward well, and genuine? I, I mean, I can tell you that, uh, with my, the work that I did with Rota, we saw a lot of, you know, during COVID lockdown videos because people were trapped at home. So they had to be more inventive. And what we, we, we I think Rota as a, as a platform found a very natural fit where they could take bits of video of them in their, in their garden or you know, on their driveway or just in their local neighborhood, you know, against the brick wall, little bits of video of them, you know, looking away from the camera or maybe a performance piece or, you know, uh, on their bike, just riding through the neighborhood or whatever, it, whatever it might be that is something that is there. But then they interpolate that with a lot of the stock library imagery from Rota that fits with that. Right. Mm. And so, so that was, and that's, that's where Rota does very well, because of course, then it auto syncs to the music. It, 
you don't need to be a video editor to create a cool asset, right? You can just use these tools that are out there. I mean, Rota is very clever because it will listen to the audio, the music, and it will then make sure that the transitions happen, you know, on the beat, if you like. Um, it's a very simple way of describing what it does. And of course, there are all these different sort of stylistic uh, themes that you run against your video by just clicking a button and choosing it. Uh, and and so you can get these incredible video assets that don't look awkward because they are just a, a, a second of the artist here and here and here in amongst some professionally shot drone footage or street scenes from New York or whatever it might be that you think tells the story of who you are. So you can get a very professional looking uh, you know, visual accompaniment to mm. your music and you can do it in 10 minutes. Like, I yeah. see what you mean. So you've, you've like, even if you're out in the country or something, you could say you just even if the person's singing to camera or not even that walking through a field yeah. and then you just cut that with all the other yeah. field and outdoor kind of bits yeah. and or, with your music. Or maybe it's like, you know, a bit of space and, you know, technology and, you know, audio equipment and live gigs, you know, mm. you couldn't film an audience at a big festival because how would you, well, you, I mean, you could if you went to one, but do you know what mm. I mean? Like you, you, but all that, is available on Rotus. You just put that in amongst it, right? And, you know, depends on what the song's about. <laughs> mm, no, that's interesting. I mean, even just some, yeah, like you said, just standing there looking at the camera or even looking away from the camera of the artist mm -hmm. and then interspersed with stuff. Yes, yeah, that is a great, great tip. Um, Rotamusic.com. Or head to <laughs> yeah. www.abcmusic.co. Yes. Click the Rota logo on the homepage to access a 10% off discount for the service, but I believe also the label machine. I think I do have one as well, you forward do. slash Rota, thelabelmachine.com forward slash Rota. I think I'm, uh, let's just look at time. I think I we've think, got to I wrap think, that. I think, I think we've hit There's hit, so hit, many hit, things. Yeah. We're going to have to do so another another <laughs> one of these next year. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, uh, amazing. Alex, thank you so much. No, man. Of course, um, thank you for having me on. Super insightful. And yeah, um, to go and check out your podcast um, to hear more, especially um, all these great stories. And he's, you know, he knows all these, basically the people who are running the industry these days, he interviews them and it's incredibly insightful. So you want to go to ABC Music Talk Podcast, um, subscribe and uh, yeah, likewise, um, subscribe to the Label Machines podcast. And if you like it, do the... Um, Rate it five star and give it a nice little positive review. Um, thanks again, Alex. Thank you very much. Thank you.